They enjoy. Oh, do you pee? Hurry up. Do, do you pee? <laughs> we'll talk about you though. So did he tell you his little secret? What's his little oh, you secret? Don't know. Oh my god, tell me his little secret. Oh my god. Tell me. He tell tell me well, he doesn't. He's, he says, yeah. Oh, I thought that was oh, a dishwasher fuck, that's again. A good but it was his pee. <laughs> that's some heavy duty, too. That's like. <laughs> I thought that, it was a fine. dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everyone and welcome to Maker and Creator, the podcast about creativity and culture and how it affects us. My name is Jai Smith and sitting next to me laughing at me is Alex Adams. Hi Alex. Hi Jai. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm very good. I'm in a good mood today. I'm in a good mood. You are in a good mood. Um, I have a confession. Yeah. There's that? something you mightn't know about me. What you mightn't have been able to guess. I'm, I don't know how to say this. I'm a really big nerd. Ooh, duh. <laughs> but a really big nerd. But I found a bigger nerd. Well, you're not a bigger nerd as he used to be, actually, technically speaking. But uh, Michael Kotahi, I just said it funny again, didn't I? Yes, I just up mumbled it. Kotahi. Very good. Very, but, very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but what I did was I found a bigger nerd who's actually gotten smaller, who epitomizes geek culture. Uh, and he's previously most notably known for being a Microsoft evangelist. Is that fair for most notably? Uh, most notably? Sure, why not? But uh, Michael I've known for over 10 years now and he's actually entered into our world, uh, which is around communications and creativity and how we speak to each other, language words and everything of that vein. So welcome to the show, Michael. Hey, welcome. thank you. It's Michael Kodahi with you. Kodahi. Kodahi. I'm I glad you had to I say that I thought about it me. so much. It's phonetic. It is phonetic. If you just look at it and you're not intimidated by it. Kodahi. It's got, it's got sharp. But, hey, Kodahi. How, how did you not see we, that? Alex, Kodahi. Uh, Alex, how long ago did we meet? Like... 15 minutes ago. Oh, hey, Joe, how, long, how long ago did we meet? judging eyes over Kodahi. here. Look at poetic. Kodahi. I just thought about she's it She's taken much. it from just like, oh, I've learned something new and she's mastered it within the space of And now she's rubbing seconds. it in my face. And now she's taking it and smearing it all over your... <laughs> <laughs> my... Well, welcome to the show, Mark. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. So I guess for me, this is this is a topic that is, is really kind of close to me and Alex because I think we have... We've both come from creative fields, but always had a big focus on communicating with each other about things that are, you know, for the large part intangible or for the hard part, like quite, mm. quite hard to explain to people. Yeah. Um, you know, Alex has been, you've been a journalist, you're, you know, an, an event superstar, you run this mini empire of secret foodies. And, and for me working in advertising, all the superstars of what we do now are digital creatives. It's no longer the... Don Draper, art and copy world. It's people who make things that, you know, for most people are intangible and hard to understand. And today's episode, I really wanted to talk about digital maker culture and people who make things in kind of the digital world and then kind of go from there and talking about, but what is the importance of communications? How does that tie in? Because I think we're seeing this in a lot of fields. I think we're seeing this in the health and science field. If you can't be a science communicator, if you're not Carl Sagan, if you're not uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Yep. Got that one out, all right. Hey, um, then, and it's got more syllables than everything. It does, it yeah, does. You must like him. It's, and it is. Yeah, yeah. like him a lot more than you. Right. But it, it, it is, it is, is intangible and they're the things that are really, really, really <laughs> making thing, making an impact. Yeah. And I think that's where we go from this world of creativity and imagination and then being able to communicate that actually creates impact. Dude, it's the by far 
so like what little advice I dispense to to, to young people, especially like I, I do some um, guest work at UTS and and a lot of um, younger kids like year ten, year eleven, trying to figure out their, their futures. And I have very little advice because I'm not a uni grad. I like I'm, I'm by far not your role model, but I know one thing, and that is know two things. If you're good at like, don't be great at one thing because you've got to be the best at that one thing. Otherwise, be really good at two things. Because if you're really good at two things, then that Venn diagram overlaps and very few people are going to compete with you. And what for it, me, those two things yeah. were like tech nerd guy. So I knew how to code. And as a developer, I'm like, I'm okay. Like, uh, not anymore, but like in my day. It was, but you were a pretty hardcore developer. You, like, uh, like in, the, in the pantheon of great developers, no. Right. Um, compared to like people who were like, like, like I can build a website. Yeah, so. yeah. So I'm, I'm good. I'm not great, yeah. and I wouldn't like go and pay me gajillions of dollars. But to it was your stuff, profession. But I was good yeah. at it. Uh, but I also knew how to speak. I also knew how to communicate. Oh, you I were also, one of those. Yeah, kind and of trying to find speak. a nerd who knows how to like craft a message. Super hard to find. Yeah. So that like, and I always go like the easiest skill and the most important skill if you're going to find two. You're a great designer. You're a great entrepreneur. You're a great you know, you're into horticulture, don't give a shit. Add communication to that. And now you have shrunk down the pool of people who compete with you. Mm. Um, and if it's not communications and it's something else, but make sure it's two things or be Elon Musk, like one of those two <laughs> things. And if you're not going to be Bill Gates, Elon Musk, like like the pinnacle of your profession, you need to find two things that make you, that, you know, culminate into a unique offering. Yeah. But, but even stri- stripping that back, you know, I think, what Bill Gates understood was was a business model, and I think he's yep. always understood that. Whereas, you look at you know the classic Antichrist of Steve Jobs being uh, <laughs> Antichrist of Bill Gates being Steve Jobs, sorry, mm. like that was the communication piece. Yeah, he knew how to craft a message. And yeah, and yeah, from an advertising point of view, you'd see something you know advertised on features and and specs versus mm-hmm. something advertised on, on emotion. On emotion, yeah, one hundred percent. And that appeals to different audiences, and yeah. so. Uh, there was something in your blog, and I went right back to. Oh wow, blog. my blog! Yeah, I actually looked into it, and is that I, still up? It, it is. Still oh wow, up. okay. And we go social these days, bro. Do we? Oh yeah, god! Just to say no. I'm getting old. I'm getting old now. I'm getting old. The Insta chat and things. Yeah. Is <laughs> um, is, is around your geek origin stories, and I remember you making a call out for this like ten years ago because. Yeah. It is interesting to see how people, have, you know, basically nerds did end up taking over the world. Like the Revenge yeah. of the Nerds movie came true. <laughs> and I still am kind of a big believer. I don't know. There was more boobs in that movie than I've seen in my entire life. <laughs> I'm sure entirely it came true. <laughs> and, and and I think that did come true because of kind of these origin stories around, you know, is it is it the Mark Zuckerbergs of this world? Is it is it is it Steve Jobs? Is it these other people? Is it Elon Musk who yeah. right now is in the papers again for, yeah. you know, having a pair of pretty terrible attempt at smoking spliff but yeah. isn't that crazy how out of context that whole did you watch the actual thing no he literally the whole thing was him going oh i have like rogan offers him a joint and he's like um oh he's i haven't like, smoked one of these it? since i was 20 and you know it has no effect on me he takes it does a little quick bump off like for half a split second i've seen that clip but and apparently he goes but he had the look on his face yeah. like the stoner look like the chichin chong like look and then he hands he hands the joint back and goes yeah see nothing and that's the whole thing now all of a sudden, stoner CEO should he be uh, like? Anyway, yeah, it's a long. Like, that's a whole. That's a whole. The Musk thing is really, really interesting. But anyway. but I think it was one of those things where he could not communicate at the start of his career. Like there are no. even videos of him, and it's it's all over the shop. Yeah, and and kind of still, but he is so mastered the engineering skill. Yeah, 
but those other things don't matter as much. Can we like, take it back? And because I said to Jai, I was like, "What does Michael actually do? No, I, don't I don't. Know. I don't understand. I didn't even know this was a job. So you teach people how to communicate in different professions. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. How, how would you describe what yeah. you do? I don't know. <laughs> as a okay. communicator, as a communicator I how to communicate <laughs> what I do. Because um, like, there's a world of just like wankers who go and do self helpy stuff. Yeah. Not my thing. Okay. And like the second someone says you do motivational talking, I'm like, no, no, I don't. Like I'm not motivated right, right. to do anything. Like mm-hmm. uh, my whole thing. And in fact, it goes all the way back to the best year I had at Microsoft when I worked there years and years ago. And my boss came in and he gave me my, um, my review for the year and my bonus and all that kind of stuff. And he mm-hmm. was like the most amazing bonus she's ever given anyone. It was like, I'm like, well, I can get that much extra. And it turns out I could. And he said, you have something that very, very few people have. And that is people know you because of your speaking. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. like, when I go to the CEO or the managing director and I go to other parts of the business and I go like, because like, the way Microsoft worked was that a lot of peers had to have an opinion on you. And if, that, if those peers thought highly of you, then you probably had a better year versus the technicals of what you delivered, right? Like there's how you did, there's what you did and there's how you did. And how you did is is predicated on the opinion of others as well. Yeah. Wow, you're one an of internal fir- brand. Yeah, yeah. Did others enjoy working with you? Were you difficult to work with? Mm. Did you bring value to their side of the business and stuff, right? So my role, like it wasn't my role, but like I was on stage a lot and I was up there doing the, like the company meetings and like I was reasonably visible as a, as a, as a person who just liked to communicate tech concepts. And so was whole, that when you were titled as an evangelist? That was my, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the whole time so I was your title was evangelist. My title was at evangelist. Microsoft. I, pre- I preached the good word to those okay. who would listen. How did you get there though? Because oh. that's a question I've never had. Wait, was it on your business back. card? Was it like yeah, no, Michael, it was. Uh, Microsoft, evangelist? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, actually, we were in, we were like the renegade kind of group a little bit because our job was not to like I used to call it blue and silver, like which was the standard Microsoft conservativeness, right? Our mm. job was to be not the opposite of that, but to be able, to, we had the freedom to go past that. So if we're going to go talk to web developers yeah. who use Macs and don't touch Windows and don't care about Microsoft and if we're going to go talk to them, we couldn't show up with our khaki pants and our polo shirts and, and you know, sell them shit, right? Yeah. Um, so we were, and that's why I was hired. I was one of the people who was like, you know, T-shirt, jeans, fat, nerd guy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like yeah, you'll do. And they loved Microsoft. You. Like the guy, Frank Arriga hired me. Yep. And the thing that, that appealed to him about me was um, you got one foot in the Microsoft camp, like you passionately Microsoft fan guy. Yeah. But also you care about the industry and you care about the web and the growth of the web and the progression of the web. You're the perfect person to go and talk to people about Microsoft. Yeah. So the whole job was talking to web developers about things that Microsoft's doing in the web space and convincing them that they should be doing it. Because that's – and now now that's just – sorry, I just had this big light bulb moment yeah. because that was the big gap between Microsoft being a technology company and where you and I met, which was about web. And, you know, I called mm. it digital, but it was specifically around web, Microsoft connecting to the web through various technologies, yeah. whether they were – Microsoft being closed to being open. Yeah. Yeah. Now, like they bought GitHub, like now super open company. Uh, but the transition was, all right, there's this thing called the web. Most people building good things of quality are using web technologies. Mm. We care about developers. You know, Steve Barmer famously ran around ranting about developers, developers, developers. Like, if we care about developers, developers are out making stuff in the open web. Like, why aren't we talking to them? Let's go hire a bunch of people who know how to talk the language of web and talk to those developers. So that's kind of where I came in. And a bunch of people, like, who I think you met Jai as well way back in the day. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say, like, the, 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 that, that whole no two things, like, 
got me bonuses that I didn't know existed because the whole company knew me from being a visible speaker, tech communicator. So when my boss was going around saying, hey, like, what do you think? Should we give Michael a bonus this year? Everyone's going, that guy? Yeah, he's awesome. We love him. Mm. We see him on stage. They didn't know me personally. But my ability to communicate is what gave me the edge over almost everyone else. Like my biggest gig at the moment is actually working with a, um, a tech company where they've got like 190 developers. And their thing is we've got 190 brains that know the product really, really, really well, but they don't know how to communicate ideas well because they're good nerdy guys. Um, how do you level up their volume to be the same as everyone else's? And this is the interesting thing. I think the, the tech industry, if, if you think about the, the rate of innovation or like the cadence of progress, right? Yep. You have, you have a, an innovation pace that is so much higher that new ideas have to be created much more regularly than anywhere else. 100%. Probably with the exception of the fashion industry, which mm. is probably the only thing faster where it is still done on... Although the fashion industry is cyclical. Yes. Tech industry is very rarely cyclical. You don't go back, throw back to like the 50s, the 70s mm, true. and do the things that we did there. Exactly. And, and it's yeah. actually always been driven through style and actually visual yeah. versus if you're trying to uh, communicate intangible ideas or complex ideas, your ability to communicate regularly new ideas is much harder than, hey, we have one launch and we're sending the car into space. Yeah. You know, you've got to suddenly say, okay, we've got these updates we're going to make to these features yep. because this is important right now. And it? the team that I work with needs to know that we should be doing things better and differently or the client that I'm contracted to needs to understand that we're going to go in a different direction <laughs> and because there's better tech that allows things to happen that couldn't happen last year or we want to adopt this new technology and I need to convince my boss or my leadership team that this technology is worth adopting. All of that comes from your ability to persuade and speak. Like, and it, and it happens so rapidly that like I, when I talk yeah. about like good communication, like the number one, I have no rule. Like our, one of our company guidelines is rules are for fools. So we don't prescribe how to do things, but we lie. There's one rule and it's being authentic. Like being able to communicate as you keeps a long-term dialogue going. So your director, your boss, your <coughs> client, they believe in you. Say whatever you want and they'll believe it and they'll come along the journey with you kind of thing. Why do you think the, the creative industries or in particular the kind of the technology industry has, has struggled to do this though? Like it's very easy to conjure up that kind of stereotype of everyone's IT guy. You know, let's start yeah. at IT before we get right into Because we're engineers. We, yeah. Because there's a truth somewhere and we want to find that truth. Like Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory kind hmm. of thing, right? Like, like we are wired, I am wired, right, to go and my partner hates it big time that there's no such thing as an answer that's not been validated, verified, tested. We've got this running gag in our <laughs> home. She puts um, – ever open a champagne bottle? Yep. Put, Once put or twice. Do you ever put a teaspoon Yes, in I the always top? put a teaspoon. Right. You are wrong. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so, so my partner puts a teaspoon in the top because – But my it, grandma put a teaspoon in the top. She would also be wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, well, no, so my question – God rest her soul. My, my question to my partner was like, so why do you put a teaspoon there? She's like, oh, because, you know, it stops the bubbles from going away. It doesn't so stop I'm like, anything. Let's do an A-B test. Like, it, like that's how <laughs> our brains are wired, right? Let's do an A-B test. Let's find out. So we put two bottles in. Then did a blind test. I put two cups in, told her to guess which one was the yeah. – she guessed it wrong several yeah. times. Like, but our brains are wired as engineers to find a truth. So it gets in the way of the creative spin and the story you can weave around it. Like, like I often teach people when, when it comes to storytelling, like don't follow a framework. Don't be what George Lucas did in ET. Like none of that shit matters. Like – 
the way to tell a story is to look for stories in your own life. Yeah. Most tech people don't see the, the poetry that exists around them. Mm. They just see the truth. That thing fell and it did that or that thing happened and I climbed, the mount, I climbed Kilimanjaro like two years ago. Wow. And my engineer buddies were like, how tall was it? And how long did it take you to get up there? And what rate did you get up there? And I'm like, that's got nothing to do with the pain that I felt on that last day trying to summit and the emotion that came through me. As, But yeah. we don't think that way naturally. We think about like the speed at which you did it and how many people make it, how many people don't uh-huh. make it and all that kind of stuff. Whereas like other industries use more poetic license and they find meaning in things. Um, so what I, I talk about story collecting a lot and I go like, the best storytellers are story collectors because nerds don't do that. They don't, they don't see that there is truth and, and emotional value in everything, like the littlest of things. Like you and I connected on ukulele when I walked in, mm. right? Like I will walk away and my brain will find something in that that is meaningful. little interaction we had talking about ukuleles, but I'll yeah. find meaning in it. I climbed, when I climbed Kilimanjaro, I came back off that mountain not going high five, awesome, but going, what's the narrative here? In the story of Michael, what does this mean? Well, then I went back to other stories that I had of failure and times I didn't achieve what I wanted. I did the Oxfam trail walker 100K. Attempted it, stopped at 52Ks, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. So this parody, this pairs with that. And that's the story of failure. Why was that failure? Why didn't I succeed in that? But why did I exceed, succeed in Kilimanjaro? Oh, there's this piece in the middle where I did the Camino de Santiago. I don't know if you know the Camino de Santiago. Oh, you did it? It's a what, what? almost 800k walk across the basically the width Did you do all of it? Did the whole thing, yeah. Wow. Really? Um, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's on my bucket list. It's tell, tell us about that. Life-changing experience if what, you want it to What be. is it? It's, you start at the south of France. And you walk across Spain. It took us 34 days, I think, to do it. Yeah. How many rest days did you have? Well, here's the interesting part of that, right? So I'm walking down Kilimanjaro thinking about those stories, right? Going, um, the reason why I successfully climbed Kilimanjaro is because day 14 of our 34-day war, Mm. my partner said, let's give her a name. Let's call her Alex, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) Not you, Alex. That's going to get confusing. (laughs) Um, She's like, let's take a rest day. I'm like, rest day? What you talking about, Willis? Like 30, 30 kilometers a day, we'll finish it in 33 days, and then we'll do 30 kilometers a day. We'll be nice round numbers. My spreadsheet says it all, da 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 Yeah. And she's like, yeah, it's nice, but let's take a rest day because, like, your body needs to rest. We've been walking, like, 30 Ks a day for, like, 14 days straight. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, all right, I reluctantly took a rest day. So we're sitting there in a the town of Burgos where you have to have a burger because it's Burgos. <laughs> and uh, and uh, shitty burger, but it was in Burgos, so it was great. Um, and I'm sitting there going, man, my feet feel good. Oh, I'm being rejuvenated. Yeah. Like, what's my rush? 34 days, 35 days, 33 days. Does it really, really matter? In fact, the saddest day of that walk is when you get to the end. And you're like, oh, I guess I go back home now and do other things. Like, and it taught me, like, pace matters. Like, because I just get to the end point as quickly as I can. It's just the way my brain is wide, which is why I fail at, I'm not the fittest guy in the world, right? So doing the Oxfam trail walker, couldn't get to the end because I was gunning it beyond my abilities. Mm Mm-hmm. What I learned on the Camino was like, chill, dude. You'll get there. The journey, not the destination, all that stuff. And you walk like on gravel for like eight, nine, ten hours a day. So there's not much to do but think and just observe what's going on around you. And you literally just, the world just tunes out. There's no cell coverage mostly. Um, and what a way to connect with your partner. You didn't kill each other. <laughs> no, well, there's a whole bunch of stories it's a make there. Or but break, like, really, yeah, <laughs> it is, it is. Actually, we've got two stories that accelerated our relationship that like were moments of like, if we, successfully did that <laughs> all right we're, we're good right yeah. like yeah um um but it taught me to go pace myself 
It doesn't yeah. matter about getting there. Like I met dudes who were like doing 50Ks a day and they barely made it to the end because they wow. busted their ankles. <laughs> Super fit 20-year-old like people, right? Mm. And there was me and a bunch of older people like eventually got there. Got there before them coincidentally but enjoyed the scenery on the way, learned about ourselves on the way, learned about each other. Like so profoundly important lesson for me was to go, you don't have to get there fast. Pace is important. Climbing Kilimanjaro, I go, I was the last one up that mountain. Like literally you go with a bunch of, like there's a bunch mm-hmm. of groups. You see these headlights because it's like two or three in the morning so you can't see shit but like just headlights walking up a mountain. Look behind me, there's no one there. Who look, cares? You made it. You I did look it, ahead yeah. of me. Oh, well, at this point it's like three in the morning and it's minus two degrees oh. and I'm shivering and my group who are all like 20 and young and fit were ahead of me and all the other groups were ahead of me. I look up, all the headlamps have gone. There's no one ahead of me anymore. <laughs> I look behind, there's no one behind me anymore. And I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> I'm not going to make it up this mountain. Right? <laughs> and there were a few times of me going like, well, I'm going to walk back down. I, I can't do it. Like my fitness isn't at that level. The oxygen is low, all that kind of stuff. And then I started seeing like this one particular guy was this New Zealander. He was like six foot something, super fit guy being carried down because he couldn't make it up. Mm. Why? Because he pushed himself yeah. beyond his ability. Like oxygen, low oxygen, doesn't matter who you are. You can't yeah. make it, you can't yeah. make it, right? I'm like, no, one step, three seconds, another step, three seconds, another step, three seconds. Got there like six minutes after my team did and like made it to the top, right? Like you should have seen this video of me in tears. (laughs) Never done anything like that. But it taught me pace and it taught me you don't have to. I've started this new company and I'm like, you don't have to achieve everything today. Yeah. Get there, enjoy the destination, enjoy the journey. Don't worry about where it goes, all that kind of stuff, right? That's the thoughts that enter my mind as I'm climbing down Kilimanjaro. Mm. Not how many kilometers and how many miles and how much altitude, all that kind of stuff, right? Nerds think in that term. And the big gift that I think I give is to go, it's not that relevant to the rest of the world, how many kilometers and miles or how many pixels or how many whatevers. Finding the emotion in stories is what has other people connect to you. Like it's so obvious to some people. Yeah. But if you're wired to be a good engineer, it's not as obvious to you as, as, as you think. I'm so inspired. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing a half marathon on Sunday. Oh, awesome. For the What's first that? Time. That's 21 cases. 21. Marathon, I've yeah. never done more than 14 kilometers and I, I think that's it. Like just, running, running? Yeah. Oh, okay. And I think it's just like you said though, you know, I was saying before to Jai, I run at six minute Ks normally. I'm just going to run it well, just under six minute Ks. I'm going to just run at seven minute Ks. Can I recommend a YouTube video for you? Yeah, sure. There's a video, I can't remember his name, something Bannister maybe, the dude that did the four minute mile. Like the first put, like they believed at some point that the four minute mile was not attainable. Mm-hmm. No one, no human could run the four minute mile. Yeah. And this is the video of the black and white video of this guy running it. Ever since then, it's been broken a million times. Right? Yeah. Like we run four <laughs> minute miles at that point. Yeah. Back then, it wasn't like not possible. But it's narrated by the guy in his like 60s or 70s or whatever mm. he is now. And it's him talking about, and you see him like running. And he's not first. And you see all the runners running ahead of him. And he's just keeping pace behind one of them. And he's, he's narrating it now as an older, like as an older guy. Mm. Talking about like I didn't care what was happening around me. All I cared about it was one foot in front of the other. I didn't have to beat the guy in front of me. I just had to get to the end. Guy in front of him eventually runs out of steam. So he pulls <laughs> back. This guy's the first guy to do the four-minute mile. Wow. But the whole story is about pace. It's going, it's- I don't have to gun it because at some point biology just says you can't keep going. Like it's, what's that? There's a beautiful line. Uh, li- uh, happiness... Is life minus expectation. <laughs> that's, life minus expectation. That's, put that on your wall. Like that's, <laughs> it's give less of a shit about what everyone else thinks 
and give a total shit about what you're capable of and how you're improving and whether you're running faster than you did yesterday or more endurance than you did yesterday and give zero shits about whether I run faster than you. And he says he's not a motivational speaker. Yeah. <laughs> so so buy, my, uh, buy my books and my tapes and my... Uh, but yeah, like, so good good communicators are people who find stories in their... How can you not be captivated by the story of me climbing up the mountain or your marathon that you're, half marathon that you're about to do mm. and the meaning you find in it? Mm. And I don't give a crap whether it's something you did on a screen that had design elements in it. Steve Jobs was the master of it. Steve Jobs wouldn't go up there and go, oh, yes, the new iPhone has this many pixels and that many blah, blah, blah. He never, like, he got there. But did he weave the story about God gave you five stylists, so you don't need a stylist? It turns out his company disagrees with him. But, like, um, and, and like the beautiful moment that I actually cite with the, um, when he talks about um, Retina. It was an iPhone 3 or something, brand new high-res screen. He opened up by talking about the human eye and its capability and how we all humans see at 300 dots per inch. So our eyes can't see any more than 300 dots per inch. That's how the human eye works. And you're sitting there going, yeah, it's good education. I like this. Da, da, da. Like 40 minutes later, by the way, the new iPhone is 314 dots per inch. <laughs> oh, I know that that's better than the human yeah, eye. Yeah, right? yeah, so yeah. now you've got yeah. all this like emotion that's boiling up inside of you because you've solved the problem. Perfectly executed, right? Yeah. Everyone remember that the retina is beyond the human eye's capability because you weren't just told it's 300 dots per inch. You were left to figure it out on your own. You were left to create the emotion in it that you felt when you went, oh, that's more than the... Like he gave you a minute to connect those two obvious dots, but to connect those uh, dots. There's a real famous um, uh, study that was done. Yeah, I can't remember where. They've got a group of people. Um, half of them they gave all these facts to. And the other half, they gave the same facts too, right? So there's two separate, two separate groups. One of those facts was Mozart went to Paris in amongst the plenty, plenty of other facts that they were given. The other group were told Mozart went to Paris to find love. That was the only fact that was slightly different. They brought the groups back a little bit later just to see how many of the facts they recalled. Those who were told that Mozart went to Paris barely remembered that fact amongst all the other facts that they were told. Those who were told that he went to Paris to find love mostly remembered that that fact mm. yeah because we all feel love we know what that emotion is paris is the city of love there is so much it's called elaborative encoding there's so much for your brain to go i know what that is love yeah i got that you went to paris i know paris and you just your brain just connects all those fuses all that together really really quick so you're going to retain it versus just some random factual thing that you've got no emotional connection to um makes a big big difference but nerds don't think that way so my whole gig is helping nerds think that way. So I get it. And I that's understand the long what answer you to your short question. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I understand what you do now. Good, uh, thank you. Can you tell me one day? It's really cool. <laughs> Can we compress you that to need, like, yeah, a, say, you to like an elevator, elevator pitch? pitch. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, what do you do, Michael? Well, listen, well, it means Kilimanjaro. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you about nerds. Let me tell you about... <laughs> I have a question. What's the difference between a nerd and a geek? Oh, thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> long, long debate that we now have well, resolution Let's keep it on. short. What's the answer? No, okay. So, geeks suck. Nerds rule. Okay. Geeks, my view, which of course is the most accurate and well-researched and well-thought-through view, <laughs> uh, is geeks consume what nerds make. Nerds are scientists. Nerds are engineers. Nerds code. Nerds nerd out on things. And forget the technology side. You might be into floral arrangement. If you're a floral arrangement nerd, you're a nerd. Mm -hmm. Nerds make things. 
geeks consume them. The nerd made the iPhone, the geek bought the iPhone. That's really, Do you know I, what I mean? I like, that. That's my distinction. Do you distinction agree, Joe? Yeah, I agree with that. Do you? I don't know if I had a point of view on it before. <laughs> you just you, you go find anyone that you go like, and there's people that you and I know who walk around proudly saying, I'm a geek, I'm a geek, I'm a geek. I'm like, yeah, because you don't make shit and you just love consuming shit that's made. Yeah. Mm. The people that I meet that go, I'm a, I'm a poetry nerd or I'm a code nerd or I'm a design nerd. Yeah. Or a beer nerd. Or a or beer something, nerd. You know, I yeah. bet you a beer nerd is deep into beer. Mm. Not just consuming it, but they care about the yeah. culture of it. And the Like if you self-identify as a nerd, I bet you you create. Interesting. If you identify as a geek, I bet you you more consume than create. So does that make Alex a food I'm nerd? I'm a geek. Oh. I, I, can, I love consuming things. And do you remember when I um, really wanted nerd glasses and I, I, I had glasses that had <laughs> bits, of, <laughs> bits of glass I think in you're them. just a tragic... Consumer, yeah. you just you're, you're the, the economy keeps spinning. <laughs> it's good. It's you. Yeah, it's me. So, so why is this important now? And and you know what what's kind of paving your way for success here? Because it seems like something that should have been done years ago and that was done in pockets. But well, we have access to knowledge now. That's right. the, that's the so there's two. There's the threat of AI to get mm. the big picture. Is like you know twenty years from now, I've got a like fourteen month old son. That dude ain't doing menial labor, I guarantee you. As much as he'd want to go stock shelves somewhere or work in Maccas or whatever. He probably won't know how to drive a car. He probably won't have to know how to drive a car, Mm. right? He probably won't have to do anything. Like picture a 15-year-old. I learned the other day actually anyone can get a job at any age in Australia. What? Yeah. Don't you have to be 14, nine months? No. To work during business hours, you need to be 15 or 14, nine months. Yeah. But you can hire a 10-year-old to work in your market stall on the weekend above board. Legally. Or really? to stock your shelves on a Woolies on a every company's got their own policies around. Really? It. But you <laughs> could you could hire an intern. Illegal. Uh, in fact, <clears throat> you could hire my twelve year old daughter as your intern if you wanted to. Well, she can add a um, podcast, she's got a choice. <laughs> just uh, just so that you know I uh, I put a good word in for you. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you could you could legally hire my twelve year old daughter to be your intern as long as she's not working during school hours. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing there might be other limits around it too. So. <laughs> I don't know what they are, but yeah. Uh, what was the question? You, no, you were talking about your 14 month year old son and yeah, how so AI is going to render anything manual out. Okay. Like look at Amazon pioneering the whole, you know, stock picking and stuff. Um, what are we left with? What's the human going to go and contribute? Mm. It's going to be the more artistic, the more creative pursuits. Right? It's much harder for a robot. It's much easier for a robot to assemble a car and to lift heavy things. Much harder for a robot to make a live by Pearl Jam. Right? Like that, mm. you need to be human to know, to feel something, to write lyrics that express how you feel, to then accompany music to that expression. And then another human goes, I feel the same way. And that music is making me feel. Like, Do you think in many ways where we might be um, going back to the craftsmanship and people going into to making and creating things more more creative things in that way like we take away yeah manual so I, I i i do a little bit of mentoring at at um at a university here in sydney like when i was 20 you asked any 20 year old what do you want to be when you leave school mm-hmm. have you left school at 20 yeah well, 18 year old 17 18, year old yeah and they will go, I want to go work at blah, IBM, Microsoft, Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Go pick a random 17-year-old and ask them what they want to do. 
the answer inevitably is I want to be an entrepreneur and create something. These days, you're saying that's what it is? Yeah, Yeah, interesting. They all want to be entrepreneurs. (laughs) They all want to – some of them just want to just capitalist. I want to be billionaire, make a Facebook. Yeah. You know, and and, but most of them are like I want to do something original. I want to create something. I want to start a clothing line for women who – have long hair i want to yeah do you know like like i think that's great yeah, yeah think uh, about the 100%. future when we have all these people having more time to to create things yeah. and what, what i think the big element that's missing is there's this hard work component mm. <laughs> that these crazy millennials don't really understand the way my, <laughs> my generation did but it's a hustle right like i talk to all these students and i'm like you know you're no different to the person running the fish and chip shop in the 70s like mm. you might think you're an entrepreneur and you're fancy no no you're hustling you're getting the best price for the product. Yeah. Figuring out how to make yourself unique compared to the person next to you. Like you have the same problems that the person running the fish and chip shop in the 70s did. Right? Yeah. You, you run a small business. You don't run an empire. You're, you're not a special entrepreneur. It's just different wording for the same thing, right? Um, which is amazing because it's now like the entrepreneur way back in the day. There was the, the handful of those who did stuff at large scale and there's everyone else who was trying to hustle, trying to sell you furniture on the corner or, you know, make food and try to sell it. Now it's like, I want to change the world. I want to give everyone access to water. I want to sell clothing for people who don't have access to the clothing that they want in retail. Um, so the mindset is one of solving problems at scale, which is amazing. Uh, but that's, I think, the fundamental difference. And like, it's good because when the robots come and they do all the stuff that we are crap at, um, we'll be doing stuff that they're not good at until they figure that out and then we're out of business. <laughs> and so when you're, when you're talking to people, I know you said you didn't have rules, but what would be your um, – if there's areas that you think are important or and whether it's around language, whether it's words, whether it's around – presentation, charisma, eye contact. Like if you had yeah. to break down what you do or what you think is important to people, what people should value today in communicating about these things, whether those things are for social good or for yeah. technological good. What, I'll tell you the be? fundamental question I ask, and it's amazing how much money I get paid to ask this one question. I go in and I'm asked to, um, to critique and prepare people for conferences and things. And um, I often ask this question, why can't I say what you just said. It blows my mind how often I have to ask this question. So you've gone and you're about to pitch to someone for funding or you're about to convince your boss that you should be spending another 100,000 bucks on this project or um, whatever it is, right? I often go, well, I could do a better job at you. I'm a pretty good communicator, so why shouldn't I do it? Most people forget themselves. Yeah. Mm. What makes you credible in the equation? Like I can walk in and do the talk, but no one's going to believe me that I know anything about women's fashion. Oh, okay, you suffered the same problem that you're trying to solve. Tell us more about that. Most people forget they are the biggest part of the – what's the like the three rules for like when you're pitching for money? It's uh, product, market, and person. So an investor looks for you. No matter how good your idea is, if you're someone they don't like or don't think can execute or don't trust, it doesn't matter. The market's <coughs> terrible and you're solving a problem that doesn't need to be solved. Not going to happen. And if the product's terrible, not going to happen. But you are a third of that equation. Yeah. And most people forget who they are in the equation. And I don't care whether you're getting on stage in front of a thousand people to convince them all of some great idea that you got or it's a one-on-one. Like I do this, I talk a lot about public speaking stupid because it's all private. 
Most speaking is private. Most communication you have is with people who are never going to hear outside of that bubble that you're talking in, the meeting, the coffee shop, the whatever it is. So, like, are we learning to be better private speakers? Forget being on a stage and being a public speaker. Like, that's such a small minority of people who do that. Yeah. Um, and the biggest part of the equation, like a lot of people call it authenticity. Um, I, I just always ask, like, where are you in the equation? Why aren't you bringing your stories into it and the reasons why you think, um, you know, your because your backstory and your credibility is like by far the most powerful thing in convincing somebody of what you're about to con- to convince them. So I often like tell the story about your own credibility. Yeah. And I always bring like, so I'm old. If we have figured that out, um, WrestleMania three. That's right. a really old. That's a really old WrestleMania, right? So anyone of my generation, especially if you're a boy, WrestleMania three, Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant mm-hmm. was the defining moment in all of wrestling, and it kind of was. It was the moment where wrestling transitioned from, um, you know, regions and like little towns and stuff to like national pay per view TV yeah. and everyone. And it was all predicated on the Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan match. And the backstory behind that match is long and detailed, but. Andre couldn't fight anymore. He was all busted. He had all these problems going on. Um, so that match was actually a terrible match. On paper, technically, a terrible match. Like, it was a four and a half minute bear hug. So it was just two dudes hugging each other for four and a half minutes. We were like, hey, but really, technically, nothing happened in that fight that went for 12 minutes something. So on paper, like the rules, terrible, terrible fight. But why has it gone down in history? Why have we all still, like particularly my generation, still remember Hogan versus Andre the Giant? It's because of the mythology around it. It's Mm because what they brought to the table before the fight even existed, right? It was the giant who is the immovable object, right? Like you can't knock that giant down. Then there was this hot guy wrestling, like Hulk Hogan was on the rise, the great American hero, the unstoppable force. The unstoppable force. Very good, right? It was the the immovable object, (laughs) the immovable force. Um, no, the immovable force meets the. the immo- yeah. What was it? Ah, it was the immovable object. The unstoppable force meets yeah. the immovable object. Um, so you're believing in the 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 backstory, yeah, and the reason why they're there. And what happened was Hogan turned on Andre, and they were like best friends, and now they're not best friends. This is before we knew how fake it really was, right? And you're like, <laughs> but these guys have been best buddies forever, and they're, they're, they're the pinnacle of the industry, and now they're going to fight. Who's going to win? How can Andre possibly lose? Because no one can knock Andre down. But then, then Hogan it's like, looks no like he's going to beat him. And that Hogan can lose. As crappy as that match was, it was what Aristotle calls ethos, like the credibility that precedes the event, is what made that event so so such a big deal. So, what are you saying that precedes the event? What are you saying about yourself? I come from ten years of being an executive at Microsoft. I built. I often refer when I'm talking to a technical crowd. I often refer to a bunch of things that I built that people know about. Yeah. I'm the guy that built blah, 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 and here's what I learned from it. Oh, well, if you built blah, 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 and it got like 20 million views, maybe you have something to say. Mm. Yeah. Establish who you are. We often forget that we are the difference between just giving someone a PDF and saying read it and presenting something or communicating something. One-on-one or one to a million, doesn't matter. Like you are the core element in the equation. That's the difference between just reading it and just speaking it. And we always people always forget that because it's egotistical. Oh, look at well, it's look the at her. She's talking about herself. I get it. Tall poppy syndrome. You've got to be self-deprecating, or you're a bastard. Yeah. Well, you know my famous like. There's a photo of me, um, back in my heavier days, where I had my hair. I hadn't touched my hair for like two years. So it was all like 
big and feral and my beard was like white and just it was I looked I looked exactly like when they pulled Saddam Hussein out of the hole. <laughs> <laughs> that photo. God. So I actually bring up both photos on a lot of talks, even to corporate crowds. Like I open up with, hi, thanks for having me. Uh, don't get too confused. This was me a little while ago. I know what you're thinking. This is like, this yeah, is yeah, the same yeah. thing. And I do it better than this. But like, <laughs> but like the crowd just laughs at this guy who's making fun of himself looking like Saddam Hussein. Right? <laughs> Man, that goes a long way. Yeah. Man, that goes a long way in teaching your audience that it's okay. We can laugh. We can interact. You can throw a bunch of questions out. You can even interrupt me. Like I'll often like pick on the crowd. I go, you look bored. What's going on? Like so often. Yeah. Because that's sincere. People just buy that and go, okay, this guy's authentically him. Yeah. And it's the difference between being funny with your mates at a party and being good on stage is for some reason you forget what makes you interesting to your friends at a party and you take that all away and you go on stage and be someone totally different. Yeah. Be the same person. And it goes a really, really long Hey, look at that long answer. If you could summarize (laughs) in five bullet points uh, how to be better on stage to deliver presentations. Can I have three? Okay, sure. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'd love that. Take your five, I'll subtract two. I'll give you the secret. um, Three bullet points. Three bullet points. This is the secret to my whole company. So I run a company called Sumo, Ninja and Monkey. They each have a secret. There is a reason for that name. Sumo, Ninja, Monkey is the name of the company. Uh And it's modeled after Aristotle's pathos, ethos and logos. So Aristotle wrote a book called Rhetoric on how to be persuasive. And that's too heady for me. So I went and created Sumo Ninja Monkey. And the three elements, so when I'm doing one-on-one coaching with people oh. and when I'm like, especially when I'm doing one-on-one coaching with people, we score, we score ourselves on our Sumo, our Ninja and our Monkey. And they are really pathos, ethos and logos. So, okay. so ethos is your credibility. Pathos is how human you are, your connectability. And logos is is your logic sound. That's it. So the three pillars are the sumo. Sumo walks into a room, pretty dominant. You believe that that sumo can kick ass. The ninja, pretty confident that that ninja's got precision and has craftsmanship down. And monkey, how could you not like a monkey? You remember those three things. I just I just gave away my entire company. But um, you remember those three things. So we sit there and go, okay. So you just did a talk. What's your sumo score? How credible do you think you came across? Um, oh, man, you could have done cool. a better job. Man, that. you could have done a better job telling us about how it came about that you guys have built that feature into the product. Man, you could have done a better job about what caused you to start the travel blog that you started. Like, build up your credibility as a person who's capable, who's, who's qualified to tell us what you're about to tell us. Sumo ninja, ninja are you full of shit? Right? Logos is what ninja is. So are you full of shit? Does the thing you're saying make sense? Are you just randomly speaking or is there science to back you up? Is there an argument that you're putting forward that kind of holds tight? Like you've got to say something that's meaningful and there's a whole bunch of tools that we yeah. use to, to, to bring that meaning out, to, 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 to bolster up what the thing is that you want to say. So often we just go, I think you're full of shit. Let's find another angle because that actually doesn't hold tight. So we've got tools to kind of make that happen. And monkey, are you connectable? Do people like you? Monkeys are the closest thing to humans. Jim. Um, and uh-huh. like, what are you doing to make sure people to, to to be authentic? Like, you get up on stage, your friends like you, someone likes you. Like, the audience should also like you, or your boss should also like you, or the client that you're trying to persuade should also like you. What are you doing to be um, to be likable? And it's actually not necessarily what you think it is, right? Like, often people go, "Well, I'm likable. I smile a lot. I'm touchy, and like, 
right? Like, like oh God, this is me. <laughs> yeah, like, and that's like, I always go back to Seinfeld. <laughs> you might be surprised. This is the best way to finish the podcast. You started. I was just thinking that. I was like, I'm like, okay, yeah, so, yeah. So Seinfeld, Seinfeld. To finish with Seinfeld. <laughs> Let me end by. Um, <laughs> um, like Seinfeld. I know I'm a cliche, but but man, that's a good cliche. Um, people love Seinfeld. Not everyone necessarily, but on a whole, people go. Very loved show, one of the highest rated shows ever in history of television. If you look at those characters, they're pretty despicable. You think of the actions that they do. They steal marble rise from old ladies. They put the soup Nazi out of business because he wasn't nice to Elaine. Like, like they're actually bad. In fact, one of the rules in the writing room was no hugging, no learning. So those characters should never hug or should never be intimate and they should never learn. They should never grow. Right? They're, in fact, you remember the last episode? I don't know if you well, remember they're, the in, they're, in the, they're in the courtroom. They go to jail, go to jail yeah, because, for being they, despicable people. Yeah, because they're terrible human beings. They're terrible human beings who just care about themselves. And are, So why is it that these bad, despicable role models for human beings are so loved by so many people? So likable is not the answer. No, right? it's, like, it's, like it's, it's not, sweet. oh, Elaine's just so sweet and she helped an old lady cross the road. That doesn't seem to be the answer. It's that that it's that authenticity piece that they represent a piece it's, of us that all of us don't want to look at. It's relatable. Yeah. It's what makes people connect with you is Mozart went to Paris to find love. Oh, that's relatable. I have felt love. Someone loves me. My parents loved me. I was in love once. I'm in love now. Like like when Elaine goes back to the soup Nazi and says, you know, I'm going to put you out of business because you're a bad person. We all have had that thought. We relate to Elaine. Right, so many of the elements in that show, you watch them and go, "That's I relate to that." The double dip episode where George takes a dip and dips again, and the other guy has a go at George and says, "You can't take a dip and dip the chip and take another dip." And we all feel like like we connect with that guy, right? We connect yeah. with the guy going, "Yeah, actually, not cool. Don't double dip." Right? The it's the relatability of what happens in that show. So when you're on a stage or you're talking to your, your clients or whatever it is. Like, be relatable. Don't be likable. I mean, be likable because if you're a nice person, be a nice person. But relatability is like the key to, um, to people connecting with you as a human. I felt love. I was disappointed. Man, I almost went down off that mountain three times because I just couldn't like make another step. But I remembered the lessons that I learned previously. Like, like find the things that make you relatable because you can't avoid that humans are humans. So like, the things that you are into are probably related to things that I'm into. And the disappointments you've had in your life are probably connected to the disappointments I've had in my life. And so when I talk about story collecting, find the emotion in the events in your life, like when you couldn't sing and play ukulele at the same time, little thing as that might be, that frustration is a thing that I'll connect with you on. That's we amazing. All have frustration, we all have emotion and all that. Thank stuff. You. Thank you so much, man. That's, that's I know that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I love that monkey. So what is it? Sumo ninja monkey. There you go. And if all else fails, you know I have back never to ever told anybody what those three words mean. Well, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for sharing that well, with there you us. Go. Well, thank right. you. For, thank I you. Alex's mum listens to this anyway. Yeah. Uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't told anyone. <laughs> Hi, Alex. She won't mom. rip off your idea. It's all good. Good job being a great oh speaker. God. Mrs. Adams, three <laughs> three state speaking calls. <laughs> <laughs> and she calls it like Hi. elephant, cheetah, tiger, chip. Yeah. <laughs> well, my friends call it stupid fucking monkey sometimes because <laughs> I can't remember the three words. I'm like, yeah, do the workshop and you'll know. 
<laughs> Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you guys for listening. Hopefully you found this uh, this week's episode insightful. If you're making or creating something yourself, why don't you drop us a line, get in touch. You can hit up Jai. He's on Instagram, uh, Jai Smith or Maker and Create. No, Double Star no, Co. Yeah. We don't have Maker and Creator, do we? It exists just so I can hold it. Don't go to that. There's nothing no, on it. Don't go there. Don't do that. Just go to Jai Smith or Double Star Co. and find me at Ms. Darlinghurst. And that's it. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.